welcome to another episode of Sicker Than Most. I'm your host, Steve, and today I got a good friend of mine on the show, Tyler Hamilton. Some of our listeners may know him already, but, you know, for those who don't, this is a day one homie. This guy, uh, you know, um, we go back, you know what I'm saying? We go way back. Um, you know, back when I had like six months sober, you let me, it was like six months, seven months. Uh, I was, no, I think it was like seven months. Yeah. And I was moving out of the sober living into my own apartment. And, um, there was like a month where, uh, before I could move into the apartment and, uh, you know, Tyler let me crash on his couch trap. Yeah. A little trap house right by, you know, <laughs> what, what was it? Bulldog lane. Yeah. They call it the old sin city. Sin, sin city. city yeah. Fresno. Yes, sir. So, you know, it was, uh, it was the best of times for sure. The best of times. So, uh, I know Tyler's story pretty well, but, um, you know, I'm going to be the tour guide on Tyler's story today. Brace yourself. I smash windows. Yes. He smashes a lot of windows, <laughs> a lot of windows. Be ready. This is going to be a sick story. He's got, uh, you know, he's got an incredible story. He's got two years of continuous sobriety. Um, you somehow, know, some yeah. way. somehow, some way, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a good, it's a good life, man. And, and Tyler's got a great story. So without, to die, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> without further ado, I present to you, Tyler, the window smasher. Yo, how yo. you doing? How you doing? Doing good today. Uh, I try and wake up and stay active. I'm pretty tired. Just drink, pounded a Red Bull down, you know? Make sure I'm alert and alert and alive. alive and alert. Alive, awake, alert, enthusiastic. Yes, sir. So let's fucking take it all the way back, right? Let's go. Let's go, high school Tyler. Right now, let's take him back to back in the day. I know you were a pretty pretty good kid growing I mean, up. I was I was a good kid until I switched high schools, and then I needed a to be accepted so i did whatever it took to make sure i felt accepted and changed up a lot of uh my behaviors and my whole lifestyle mm. to make sure i could i felt like i fit in right so um did that initially start with drug use or did it kind of well let's let's take it back even a little bit before that um you know what did what did your your childhood look like did you um mom dad good parents never really fought never really did anything they, they just both worked hard uh kept me and my little brother as top priority you know tried to take us to church every sunday we'd always fight and figure out a way to say how we wanted to sleep in and mom dragged our ass to church and um played soccer played sports my dad was really good at keeping us playing sports year round whether it's soccer baseball basketball he uh kept us involved to stay busy because I, I was one of those little kids that could not sit still. I had to always be doing something. So my dad pushed me in a direction that made use of that. And you were a pretty good soccer player there for a while, weren't you? I mean, <laughs> depending if all my teammates hear this, uh, I've been told today, I just started playing like two years ago again, like right when I got sober, I wanted to start playing again that I'm actually better now than back in the day. Like I could always hang and, you know, hold my own on the field and be a part of the team and make the team every year. But, uh, you know, uh, I'm better today. It doesn't make sense. So you're, you're saying that it needed a crippling heroin addiction for you to really find your true potential. I guess. Yeah. Hmm. I have a lot more fun with it today. I took it <laughs> way too serious back then and I'm still my own worst critic, but I don't, 
take it as serious as I did then. So now I have a lot more fun with it. Right, right. So now, you know, you, you'd mentioned switching high schools. Um, what happened? What, what happened after the change? Um, you know, just kind of, I wasn't that my parents moving on up, you know, lived in a really small home um, for most of my childhood and right around 12, 13. Uh, dad took on a job, I think that started paying more and had an opportunity to move into a much nicer home on the north side of town. And there was no way we were going to make that long. Uh, what do you want to call that? Commute. Commute. That's the word commute uh, each day. And so my dad took me out of my original high school, put me in one that was closest to our home, but it was a different uh, atmosphere, different atmosphere, but it was also a different uh, unified district. You know, it was a whole different district. And so I went there and I can make friends anywhere I go, but like I was getting straight A's. I was like, my classes were a breeze, but I was having a hard time trying to fit in and make friends. And that's usually, I've never had that problem. And so I just told my dad, I'd come home and he'd be like, how's school? And I'd be like, this fucking sucks, dude. Like, I'm like faking the funk every day and like just trying to fit in. And it's just, it was weird. And so my dad's like, well, why don't we try putting you in another high school where some of your teammates are? Because I played soccer outside of uh, the school soccer. You know, I was on like travel teams and whatnot. And so let's. he's like, what's the next closest school? that's got? Where, where, where are all your friends at that you play soccer with? And I was like, okay. I was like, they were like, <laughs> he was, I was like, Clovis West. And he was like, all right, well, let's see if we can get you over there. And that was like half the commute to my original high school. And so he's like, all right, put you in there. And so I went over there and I went in with the mindset, like I'm here for, to make friends with my soccer buddies, get the better chemistry going. So like we play better on the field. And I ended up knowing a lot of my like elementary school friends because uh, in elementary school, as we grew up, all those new schools were being put together and they kind of divided us in two directions. So I went with one half, the other half went this direction and um, I got to reunite with a lot of old friends that I didn't know I had, but um, they still weren't the people like I hung out with on a daily basis. Um, what what type of crowd were they? You said they went separate ways. Yeah, uh, like I don't know. I just had my original like solid four or five friends from elementary school. We went to junior high together. We went to high, uh, then we got to high school my freshman year, and then so. Did the freshman year at Buchanan, and I transferred over to Bullard for half a semester, and it was cool, but it wasn't quite the same. And then when I got to Clovis West, uh, a lot of I wasn't close friends with those guys, but they knew who I was, and I knew who they were, so it was cool to just say hey. And this one day, I was in my geometry class, sophomore year, and fucking this dude's just like, "You seem like a cool kid. Why don't you hang out? Stick with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite, I'm going to introduce you to some people at lunch. And I was like, all right. And right then and there, it just, I felt accepted. This dude like reached out, had no problem, like being cool with me and treat me like a brother. And the rest is history. And then lo and behold, this was kind of like some of the more popular kids that he introduced me to at lunch. But, uh, second day out of school at lunch they're like hey we're all gonna go smoke some weed you want to go smoke and i was like yeah i kind of had a blank face and they're like you smoked before right and like i could immediately tell like this was the crowd to be with you know 
And so I was like, yeah, yeah, of course I smoke weed. I've never smoked weed in my life. And so we all ditch, like hop in someone's trunk, fucking four or five of us deep <laughs> in the trunk. They slam it. <clears throat> Take us to homeboy's house right around the corner. And we're all doing big ass gravity bong hits out of the pool. And uh, that was the first time I was ever stoned and heard Andre Nicotina. And it was a rap. I loved it. Mm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, what did the what did the progression look like to you, you know, um, in, the, in the upcoming years? So, sophomore, we, you know, started drinking more and becoming a more party atmosphere, dabbling a little cocaine, and that was cool. But I, it was expensive, and I didn't really want to, like, be known as that drug user, and so I, I was kind of, like, avoiding it and fighting to not partake in every little thing and then by junior year we got into like ecstasy and all the fizz pills and part of that fizz generation someone introduced me to the mac dre music and it was a rap like i wanted to be mac fucking dre mm. fucking the fizzlomic correspondent <laughs> just fucking <laughs> yes uh, dude and, and yes uh, you know i got into more of the that stuff and then i got into a little techno music and then I started experiencing all the come downs from all the stimulants and I, I tried meth briefly, you know, smoked it a few times. I remember one time with, with meth, it was my junior year. I had a Spanish test, right? And I get good grades in all my classes, but I had the Spanish test that I did not study for because I was just stoned and friends were more important. Uh, soccer was going on at the time. And so like Spanish was the last of my like concerns. And I remember going, like this is the first test like i'm gonna flat out fail and then the homie like two two rows down from me he's like go to the bathroom go to the bathroom i was like all right fuck yeah fuck this final and we go to the bathroom and he gives me a globy and he's like showing me how to hit it in the bathroom real quick i hit it once twice and i felt a little something i was like that's cool like, give me that and i fucking really went to town on it for a few hits and then i went back into fucking spanish class just feeling like Woo! Like, all right, we're gonna get this shit done. I don't know. Let me see this test. <laughs> Boom! That answer. Oh, you know what? That's C. You know what? That's probably C. Oh, uh, you know what? I That's C also. Say habla. Yeah, D. <laughs> and I just, I, I fucking was like the last one to start the final. I was the first one to finish, and I turned that motherfucker in feeling so confident. Like, you know what? I feel so confident and so good. Like, I got at least a low B on this thing. And uh, lo and behold, like two weeks later, we get our final results. I think I got like a 48%. Nice. First, yeah, I still <laughs> failed that motherfucker. But the coolest part is I didn't have to feel and live with that feeling of like uh, failure or um, just like. The guilt or the remorse, I guess. Oh, yeah, for just not preparing because I was always a pretty good like scholar. Mm. And that was the first time I experienced like what drugs can do for you. Like it took away all the fear all the worry and I felt confident. I liked that. And so, yeah. so then like moving into, um, like senior year, what did, what, what did it look like senior oh, year for Tyler? Fucking opiate overload, bro. It's when I how, finally, how'd you get introduced to that? Um, you know, uh, so I was pretty reckless, dude. Like me and this one homie I had, we were just, Oh, I was always into trying everything once. And so he, every week he'd come to school with like, he'd, he'd start off with like, uh, 
try taking ecstasy at lunch, and then we'd take some fucking Norcos, and then it'd be like some Darvocet one day, and I was just like, yo, bro, you know what? This is going to be an experiment for me in my life. Like, whatever you can get your hands on, I want to try. Then came the Xanax, and then fucking just like any pharmaceutical you could think of that was hip and that could make you feel a different kind of way, I did. And then uh, there's this other friend who was just like the soccer all-star, bro, because soccer was still my passion, and he was a fucking soccer stud, and he liked Oxycontin. And I was like, yo. This is back in the day with the real OCs, right? Yo, OC 80s, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fucking, I, and I, I'd get so, uh, anyway, back to that dude. Sorry, I get real scatterbrained, but, um, I just wanted to be like this dude, how he fucking dressed, how he walked. I wanted to be just like this dude, how he played soccer, like anything. I, I was taking note of what was he doing? Cause obviously some of it's got to like contribute to how he plays. And so, uh. I got into Oxycontin just like he did. I didn't really do it with him much. I kind of got got into it myself. So finally one day when we were talking about it, I was like, yeah, bro, I fucking do 80s too. Like, you trying to you trying to get down? It's like, no, you don't. And I was like, yeah, man, I get down. I'll buy you a pill. You know what I mean? Trying to be that, that friend, trying to fit in with him. And anyway, I didn't know anything about opiates or the withdrawal. I think that's the one place that kind of like my generation failed it is like, making you aware of addiction and withdrawals and all that so well specifically with opiates right too yeah so i what did that what did that first dope sick look like did it just sneak up on you or you kind of already getting the sniffles and then no it was just uh partied hard one friday night drank smoked uh did some oxy didn't want to really do anything else or any of the stimulants and fucking I woke up the next day, like at noon, and I wake up and I feel like shit, like my body's hurting. I felt like throwing up. It could have been a little bit of the alcohol too. And then I just felt sick. Like for some reason I caught the flu, like fucking dripping nose, fucking coughing, sore throat. So I like was convinced like, oh shit, like I was fucking sharing too many beers and bottles with somebody and someone got me sick. And then I got a phone call like 30 minutes after waking up and it was one of my homies. He's like, yo, yo, you want to go get a pill? I was like, no, man, I can't get a pill today. I go, I feel like shit. Like, I'm not leaving the house. I'm staying home, staying in bed. I go, if anything, like, let's go get a go get a, a sack and we'll roll a blunt. And he's like, bro, you're dope sick. I'm like, what? No, I'm not dope sick. Bro, I'm sick. Like, let's just smoke some weed and take it easy today. He goes, bro, you're dope sick. Just come get a pill with me and you'll be fine. I'm like, you're a fucking idiot. Do you not hear what I'm saying? I feel like shit. I don't want to do some fucking opiates. He's like, dude, just trust me. He goes, you know what? We'll go 50-50 on this pill. He goes, if you don't feel better, I'll give you your money back. But I'm telling you, you're dope sick. I was like, all right, well, possible free drugs like I'm in. And sure as shit, bro, we go cop, we fucking get the little fucking sifter at the time. It didn't take off too bad. I was still sifting with the the hose clamp, you know what I mean? Only the real OGs know the hose clamp. The hose clamp, bro. And we did it, and within like 30 seconds, I was like, I feel fine. I feel normal. What the fuck? I was like, what is this? He goes, bro, you're addicted to fucking 
like oxy like you gotta keep congratulations doing it. buddy. yeah, yeah. A drug problem and i was just like no fucking way and then immediately right then and there i was like because i was really reckless with my money too then and like immediately i was like got in the mindset of a user to trying to become the dealer and i was like i gotta feed this habit and these things are always wanted and so started searching out sources and um I mean, I could talk, I don't know how, how long you have on here, bro, but I mean, I got different phases of my life from the good kid trying to be the athlete, uh, trying to fit in and do drugs. Cause I was worried back in high school. I didn't want to be known as the druggie or that guy that gets high. And then by the end of my senior year, bro, like it changed completely. And I felt like my ego was through the roof cause I was that guy. If you needed something, I could get it. Uh, at the very least, I was the middleman for everything. And so I always got a piece of every fucking got a piece deal. of the pie. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, towards the end, they even had a nickname for me. I was Tad. Like, my name's fucking Tyler, right? And there's that stupid fucking movie, uh, Win a Date with Tad Hamilton. And people, for some reason, because there was a bunch of Tylers in our uh, school. And they were just like, because people were like, oh, you got to hit up Tyler for that. Or hit up Tyler to get this. And so to make it easy, they fucking named me Tad, bro. And like, that was like the street fucking drug dealing, drug addict nickname I had for a couple years. And uh, even today, I'll see like three or four of the original homies I was back in high school with. And they'll be like, what up, Tad? I'm like, oh, God, that's not my name anymore, bro. <laughs> it's not me. Wrong person. <laughs> yeah, that's not me. And so, I'm definitely not about that anymore. So then when... um you know, you, you went from that moment of realizing you're dope sick and that it's not just a flu to immediately saying, I need to start selling these to support the habit. Yeah. How much longer or how long did that like last? Cause we all, I mean, spoiler alert, it didn't last forever. Right. Right. Um, in a nutshell, like, bro, I was homeless two years later. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And then how did that come about? Um, parents kicked me out, you know, because I was doing the the most obvious dumb thing. You know, I was still living at my parents, trying to push pills all through the night outside of my house, walking outside the front door, um, running around town. And then I slowly started accumulating DUIs um, for being intoxicated while driving and uh mind you when i say duis all my duis are uh, under the influence of drugs like none of them were really alcohol related but um so i was kicked out by like the end of my 18 almost 19 and then i still had a car and i was making decent money enough to support myself every day but i was when you got dope you can go anywhere and do anything so i just stay at people's houses and then my addiction progressed. And by the time I was like 21, into my 21, almost 22, like I had no more couches to sleep on. Uh, the dealing started going bad because I wasn't fucking keeping up. I started spending all the money I made on my own fucking habit. And I just gave up. Once, that, once I lost the car and all the girls started kind of going away, I was just like, I, I need help. And actually, that's when I actually started trying to go to rehab. And uh, I'd go to rehab and I'd never make it because some of the rehabs I went to always had dope in it. And I was uh, naive about recovery and, you know, um, getting sober. So I'd fucking 
go to rehab, get loaded in a week or two, or I hear some spectacular deal of a large amount of drugs that I wanted to be a part of. And I'd go back out. And every time I went back out, my parents just lost more and more trust in me. Um, and I was like homeless, homeless. And then I'm sleeping outside a few nights. And then I'd be like, fuck this. I'm not sleeping outside. And then I'd go to jail. And um, jails and rehabs were a trend for me. I never did the homeless stuff like hard, like sleeping outside for months till later in my 20s, probably like at 24, 25. But like from 21 to 23, man, it was just revolving door of jails and rehab, jail, rehab, jail, rehab. And I, I'd always give myself the excuse. I'm in my early 20s. Like I got time to figure it out. I got time to get it together. And uh, I never really did. So, you know, um, you said that you were completely homeless into your, into your, like, was it? By 25, I was, I was sleeping outside for months at a time. Was that cause like you stopped going to jail or like you, you stopped doing shady shit and you were just homeless? Oh yeah. 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 I, uh, I stopped hanging with those people that were like hitting licks and selling stolen property and fucking stuff that can put you in jail. I was like, I need to stay out. So I need to find a different way to make money and support my habits. So I don't go back. Cause, um, it was all, as long as you stayed loaded, like everything else was good. So, um, I'd see people fucking the homeless people, like, you know, the dirty cart pushing stroller, pushing guys with dogs in it, have money and get high. And I was like, I want to figure out what, what that's about. <clears throat> and as you know, as time's gone on, I slowly lost my own dignity and integrity and all those good morals I was instilled with as a kid. And I slowly just got comfortable fucking panhandling. And then panhandling wasn't really paying off either. Like 20 bucks a day, maybe on a good day, asking for change in dollars. And so as a kid, though, my dad taught me how to like uh, clean windows on the house. Like big panel windows. You go get the bucket and you go get the fucking the fuzzy thing you dip in the water and you get the big long squeegees and do smooth fucking clean windows. Like I did a good ass job. I'd even go door to door around my neighborhood for a short time when I was younger to make really good money. And so one day I just got this bright idea or I might have seen someone doing it, but it wasn't a common thing. All the areas I was hanging out in is to clean windshields. Like I don't want to be a beggar. Like I was always taught to work hard or work for your money. And so like, I'm going to try and work for this. Like, I think people would respect me more if I tried to fucking earn a dollar instead of just ask for a dollar and sure as shit, that shit worked like gold, dude. I started making hundred dollars a day. Just no, cleaning windshields. No problem. Yeah. And I, I was so into it. It felt so good to like earn the money almost, you know, I took pride in my windshields <laughs> And so I'd go find the baddest squeegees at the truck stops clear across town. <laughs> fucking steal those. The primo squeegees. The primo squeegees, bro. The best of the best. And fucking go back to my hustling spots uh, downtown and on the west side and just start hitting Arco gas stations. Only the Arcos because they, the, they had the most pumps. And um, just go to everyone. Hey, can I clean your windshield? And um, some people said no. And I, I didn't bother. I didn't like push the issue. I was just like, cool. 
And a lot of times they'd be like, how much? And I'd be like 50 cents, a quarter, whatever you got. Like and you made, you made a hundred dollars a day doing yeah, that. Yeah. Cause believe it or not, I come, I, I, I shoot the low ball number out and then people end up giving you a dollar or two or they'll be like, you know what? You did a pretty good job on the front. Can you hit the back too? Hey, or or hit them go. all the way, hit me all the way around, get the, wow. the passenger, the back window. And like I do them all bro. And then I just, I kind of like mastered the craft of a clean windshield and uh, I ran with it, you know, it made me feel okay about uh, feeding my addiction because I earned this money, it was mine. And sometimes if people are like, I can't, I can't give you anything, bro, I'll be like, I'll take a sandwich, I'll take a cigarette. And that's how I like, I stayed living comfortable, bro, because if I didn't get change, I'd get food, I'd get cigarettes. And that's why it, the cool part was that worked for me because all the money that I made, I got to keep. I didn't have to go spend it on food. I didn't have to go buy a pack of cigarettes. I could spend every fucking penny, lots of pennies on dope. You know, go find the fucking coin cash machine in the fucking Food Max. And uh, you're good to go. Good to go. <coughs> so, so now, right, you know. Uh, moving forward in, you know, as your disease progresses and everything like that. Um, when did it start like getting to like an unmanageable point where you started reaching, like where you started thinking that you might need to get help? Because it seems like it's, I mean, obviously well, like a normal person would look at it and be like, well, that's not really living. But like as from like someone who's like been homeless before, that's a phenomenal hustle. Yeah. You know, yeah. and if you're in that, if you're in a full blown, you know, drug addiction, it's not a bad gig you got going on. But so then what, what had to happen before you started to realize that you might need to get help? So, I mean, I probably didn't share this part, but, uh, I, in, I used intravenously injected heroin for the first time at like 19, 18, 19. And I didn't really stick with that. Or, I mean, I kind of did, but I don't really do it once at that time were you still into the OC 80s bro I actually only got the bang like I think three OC 80s my entire life wow like, I was I was big into the fucking smoking and that's such a waste I, mean, I got to try the 80 and by the time I was like uh experimenting with slamming and oxycotton uh, uh I was already into heroin because it was cheaper like I didn't want to keep paying for that expensive ass pill and uh, got the slam and Opana ones too. That was actually worth every little bit, but those are really hard to get in fucking get your hands on sicker than most. Hey, so, um, but no, so the IV use took off 22, 23 when I started going in and out of jail, but I could never like, you know, it was pretty, I don't want to explain it, but I was just reckless. Like I just, did what I could when I could, but I first tried uh, heroin and cocaine at like 23 and the mix. I was like, that's a wrap. Like that is that's what, the one that is what I've been looking for. That's my the whole one. life. Heroin and Coke. And, um, you know, occasionally smoke some meth with the, with the fucking homeless people. If that's all that was around and I was having a bad day something to socialize like people socially drink fucking when you're homeless you socially, socially smoke, smoke some meth, meth. <laughs> yes dude yes and uh fucking i went to jail for like uh eight or nine months at one point 
and I had this badass girl, bro, that I, I was in love with. I asked her to marry me and everything. While I was still homeless. She said, "Yeah, it was cool." Yeah, <laughs> fucking homeless romance, homeless. Oh, they should make a mo- they should make a movie about that, dude. And uh, I'd yeah. pay to watch that. Yeah, still had the squeegee in the backpack, of course, with the backpack on, of course. And uh, you were probably you were probably like prime prime real estate for all the homeless girls out there because you had the hustle going on. <laughs> yeah, They're like homeboys got money, yeah, that yeah. windshield money, dude. Yeah, that windshield. <laughs> <laughs> so I go out of jail, right? And uh, my, me and my girl were strung the fuck out. Like I was keeping my habit and her habit up. And so when I went to jail. It's like, dude, that girl doesn't know how to do shit. Like, how is she going to fend for herself, let alone stay stay well, not get sick? And uh, she met a little gang member boyfriend and uh, started getting high with him. And so when I get out, I go straight to the trap house that was on the west side where everyone kicked it and scored our dope. And uh, she's like, baby, baby, I got you all this dope right here. Come do a shot. And I was like, fuck, yeah, that's my girl. Like, hook me up. And uh, as she's cooking up the shot, she starts fucking dropping meth into my hair. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> no, you're, don't ruin a shot yeah, like that. Yeah, you're messing it up. Like, what's the point? One super down, one super up. We're not even going to feel anything. That's like, it's going to cancel each other out. She's like, babe, 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 just try it. All right. <laughs> I was like, all right, all right. <laughs> oh, and shit. fucking had my first dose of that. And I was just like, oh, oh, yeah. And that was perfect. It 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 was better than the fucking coke, bro. Cause now no, yeah. Well, I mean, no. the coke isn't an, is an initial better rush in in the in a mi- initial better rush in the beginning. In, in the beginning, yes. But like, you still come down eventually, and like, you want to keep doing back to back shots. You do a fucking banger of like. 20 30 of fucking heroin and a solid 10 of meth and like i could go clean windshields and still feel loaded for like four hours and so like that was the shit like i could literally stay get high stay high and still hustle i wasn't sitting at the trap nodding out like i was over the nodding out phase by like 25 because i had to get this money somehow i had to stay feeding my habit and making sure i had something for the next day and so heroin and meth, I was able to get the feelings that I was searching for and stay busy. And so uh, she introduced me to that. And then I was like, how'd you figure this out? And then fucking here comes fucking homeboy in the room. He's like, what's up, dog? I'm so-and-so. And I was like, what's up, dude? And like, I could kind of catch a weird vibe. I knew something was going on, but she was still pretty loyal to me. But every time I'd go fucking go back to hustling and making money, she'd go disappear. I'm like, where the fuck is this? Where'd my girl go? Lo and behold, like, she fucking went to him because this dude had more dope than me, pretty much. And fucking, he's the one who showed her how to mix the crystal with the heroin. And, uh, yeah, so I, me and this dude beefed it out at least five, six times. Every time we ran into each other, we'd literally just fucking catch hands right then and there and go our separate ways. Um. Damn. Yeah. Another, another good homeless romance lost to the streets. Yeah. So oh, so then I go to jail again though. I go to jail again for just like a couple months, and this guy's been a, like beating the shit out of her and pretty much abusing her as far as I knew. And so I get out, and I was all sad. I was on my sad boy shit and fucking just 
hustling up some money to barely get high again because I was fucking not going to probation. I'm done with rehab. Like, I can just stay on the west side and get loaded and hustle on my own. You know, and there's a few side homeless chicks. I don't even, I don't even want to bring it up. <laughs> Nothing you want to brag about. But, like, <laughs> I was like, I'll get by with this kind of life now. And then uh, my original girlfriend came, like, just came running up to me, like, one early morning at 10. I was having a hard morning trying to come up to get well because I think it was like my first hour and I didn't make 10, 20 bucks yet so I could just go get well. She's like, babe, babe, let's go get a room. And I was like, what? Like, you're not even talking to me. She's like, no, no, I just robbed the I just robbed uh, so-and-so. Yeah, and I was like, no. I was like, no, you didn't. And she's like, no, look. And she pulls out like a quarter piece of heroin, pulls out a couple grams of meth, pulls out like $80 in cash, a cell phone. And I was like, Where'd you get all that? And she's like, I told you I robbed him. <laughs> she's like, let's just go get a room and be together. And I was like, oh, sick. You are, you are so the one. Like, I knew I asked you to marry me for a reason. Like, that's you, tight. You are the one. That's tight. Yeah, that ran last for like two or three days. <laughs> and it was over. You blew through all that fucking all, dope. All of it, bro. Holy shit. And it was and it was over. And then she went around and then I'm out, you know, and we're all on the opposite end of town to go get the cheap room. And so uh she eventually ran back to dude and I did my own thing. Um kind of just stopped worrying about it. I was finally over it going back and forth. And then uh at some point, I go to rehab or jail again for a couple months. I get back out, and then I run into the this new girl who's a mutual a mutual friend of the old girlfriend, and we just hit it off, bro. And the new, my new homeless girlfriend, with a a little corner room to sleep in at night. I wasn't sleeping outside as much anymore. There you go. And uh, you know, uh, when you're in addiction and out there like that, roaming the streets, if you can just stay high and eat decent and as long as you got a cigarette to smoke like life is fucking gravy and uh we fell in love and i was like babe if we're gonna really get our act together and, and, and do this someday and like you know be this like committed couple like we gotta slow down on the dope like our lives are going nowhere and she's like let's just go on methadone I was like, what the fuck's methadone? I was so, bro, I'm so naive to drugs throughout this whole phase. I don't know what it is. Until You're like I'm a doing full-blown homeless dude shooting dope every day, and you have no idea what methadone is? Not a clue. Not a fucking clue. Damn. And uh, she tells me about methadone, and I was like, what the fuck's methadone? She's like, we'll never get sick. You'll never be sick again. It's the and cheat I, code. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> that sounds fucking... Let's do that. I don't want to be sick anymore. Fucking... Anyway, so we go sign up and go to a clinic. There's a couple of them in town. and uh, So we've heard. Right. Yeah, and, allegedly. Yeah, and it, it made life a little bit easier in the beginning. And, you know, the first couple days of methadone, it's pretty cool. But uh, long story short, I ended up staying on it for almost a little over two years. Got the dose up to 150. And after you get, a, after you get over, like, 80, 90, 100 milligrams, like, you can't feel any opiates. No, I, I, it was, I mean, you could get a tingle, but like, bro, you were wasting money on dope. If you're fucking trying to shoot heroin and be on methadone. So I got more into the meth and I just started doing bigger shots of meth and less heroin while I'm on methadone. And, uh, 
I kind of got into that for a minute. You know, I got the girlfriend. Uh, we're sleeping outside, but I'm getting real resourceful. So I know how to set up the tents. I know where you can go get the free water, where you can go take a shit, where you can get some free food. Like I was real resourceful at getting everything. And um, I had a dog. I love this dog, bro. I still am so sad today. It ran away. And uh, did- so you had the girl, the tent, the dog, and... And, oh, and I was finally off probation. I'm like 25, no, 26. I'm off probation. I'm homeless. I'm on methadone. And so I just did a homeless run for like two years. Two summers, two winters. And I made it work. I was good at it. I, I could have done it the rest of my life. But... As I got more into the slam and meth stuff, I started getting into the psychosis and started fucking getting paranoid and just started making all kinds of claims and accusations that was the furthest from the truth. And yeah, if you if you need if you need some more proof of that, I know there's an old I'm going to put you on blast real quick. There's an old Tyler Hamilton Facebook somewhere out there in the oh, u- in the universe. God. And if you ever have any free time, it's definitely a good read because it Hold on, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, if we could get a couple posts up there, that'd be tight. If you could go look that up for us Will right the now. the real Tyler Hamilton please stand up. Yeah, cuz this like, they, these Facebook <laughs> posts are off the wall and it just goes to show truly like I mean how far we can get into our our addiction where um, you know, and in specifically into psychosis, you know, there's a lot of like mental health that like is brought out with like, especially heavy meth use. And, um, his Facebook is, you know, is a, a perfect example of that, you know? Um, now during the time when you were, um, you know, in that psychosis, did you ever, did you ever feel like any, did you ever have like aha moments or like realization moments where like all of it's fake or were you, did you feel like you were so far in it that like, every of all these like thoughts and all these you know hallucinations and and all this stuff that that was you know just not there did you ever feel like it just completely was all the time or were there ever any big like moments i had a few aha moments yeah i i I look back at them now and know it was god and i finally had the biggest aha moment at the end right at uh right before i turned 20 I'd say um, I'll tell you about that but I got I found the, the homeless Facebook so it says the governor of California and the president of the United States of America is willing to let a homeless person like me be raped and murdered in exchange for millions and billions of dollars thanks everyone for your help and support I'll be pushing a shopping cart up and down First Street or Blackstone or usually I'm downtown but I, I'm willing and ready to leave today if and now and now if you are and of course i'm the best boyfriend partner you'll ever have yeah when was that uh this says july 7th 2017 now did you um at the time you thought that like people were out to get you or did you feel like like that oh, like yeah. I mean like the, that the government was out to get you like you said like the governor? It was me against the world. Okay. And then I start making accusations of calling my family a bunch of crystal dealers. Um, so you thought your straight edge family was was selling meth? Yeah, underground with a bunch of like 
Yeah, because there's underground tunnels in downtown Fresno, and I thought the governor and the sheriff are all in cahoots fucking smuggling drugs and running fucking prostitutes and drugs down there, and that's why Fresno's such a big meth capital. And I can't control the governor of California or the fact that the president cut a deal with my dad to take my life in exchange for millions. The president? Who, how'd you think the president? Because it was just like... The only way they could get away with all this is like the next higher up. And so it started with like parents and police chief. And then it was like, well, the police chief couldn't get away with it if fucking the the head county sheriff wasn't involved. And if the head county sheriff and the police chief are involved, I mean, the governor's got to know about it. So the governor's got to be in on it. And if the governor and the whole city's in on this, then like the president's got to know a little something about this. And was this all uh, figments of your imagination while you you just sit there and just shoot meth and, and come up with these things? Um, or, or did you feel like people were, were talking to you? Oh, full on talk. I had this con- convinced point in time. My dad like felt real bad for me one day. And he told me I could sleep in his trailer. Like he had like one of those travel trailers at the back of his house uh, one night. So I could get some rest and he was going to feed me and all that. And for some reason, I wasn't tired at all. When I recall this, I mean, and granted, this is just what I remember. I was not tired, but my dad brought me into the house for just a few seconds. Let me eat a bowl of food, gave me a glass of water. I drank the full glass of water because I was thirsty. And then he goes, you got to go to the trailer now and go to bed because I'm going to bed. And I was like, all right. And I'm thinking I'm going to go in the trailer and just fool around and kind of plot a plan of how I'm going to get out of here and go get high. And I remember laying down on the bed. Granted, this is the first time I've actually slept on a real mattress in many years. And I just passed out. And then I wake up. And within a day or two go by, I was using again. And I just started hearing voices. Like I could hear um, my dad's voice. Like, you know, when you you hear people talking to you like, like your conscience instead of hearing my conscience i was hearing other people more than one and it just slowly accumulated and i was convinced that like my dad drugged me with some with some water and had some surgery done to where i got a microphone in my ear and anyway so that's how i was hearing voices and i could hear the president i used to have this vision bro where i could hear uh, the police chief wearing a batman cape in his underwear in the fucking like his official office downtown and like he was like weighing out drugs and like making deals with my dad like trying to negotiate prices on this pure crystal meth but that's a whole nother like segment bro like I, maybe I, we'll have it, to get uh it's uh, pretty detailed <laughs> the little psychosis story series going you yeah. know sicker than most psychosis yeah so you know? oh the aha moment let's get to the that's right the recovering yeah. point so I'm going to the methadone clinic. I'm trying to taper now on my own. Cause like the girlfriend finally ran away with some new meth dealer, just like the other one, you know, run away with the guy with more dope. But I had my dog and I was like, I'm cool. I got me and my dog. I took care of this thing. It was like a long white, like weenie dog, but it was like a chihuahua weenie dog. It was just long, white, short, and fat. And I loved her. <laughs> I named her beluga, like a little beluga whale. <laughs> And so I had this dog my almost, my almost two years. And so I'm sleeping right behind the methadone clinic because I'm tapering. I'm getting a little sick every day, and I want to make sure I stay close. 
and uh, it's summer, and the fireworks go off. The Fresno Grizzly fireworks for the the baseball team start shooting off fireworks, and fucking my dog. I because dude, I I took such good care of my dog. It had like the harness. It had the like full body harness, the collar, and then I had like a jacket on it and clothes. Always Sick. had, yeah, I had it fucking draped up. He probably had better clothes than you had. It was a little girl, but yeah, she had better, better yeah. clothes than you. Yeah, had. and uh, so at night, you know, like human beings, we don't want to sleep in our clothes. If you can, you want to get in your underwear. And so I take off her harness, I take off her collar. I didn't put clothes on her; it was hot. And so I would take everything off, and she'd always sleep with me. But those damn fireworks go off, and she just booked it and they were doing construction in the road and so i mean i saw her run i pop up i try and chase her and my feet were all swole up from fucking tweaking and walking for a day so my shoes are off and i'm chasing her with no shoes and there's construction in all the roads and so everything is just covered in rocks and gravel and just it was a tore up street and so i'm trying to run and literally like chunks of concrete all over the fucking ground and i made it like i don't know 30 yards before i was like fuck my feet i can't keep running but my dog was gone dude and uh never saw her again and then that's when i hit like a new low like you know how you hit bottoms my bottom was already so low but i was like me and my dog we're gonna ride this shit out homeless and we're gonna figure something out yeah not the dog dude that's terrible yeah and then once the dog was gone then i was really in my feelings all lonely and fucking having pity parties and in my own psychosis because even if i when i was in psychosis and talking to myself i was like i was kind of like therapeutically getting through it by talking to the dog or taking care of the dog you know it's pretty basic simple stuff feed it give it water walk it around and so that was keeping some sanity going on with me or as much sanity as I you know could have but after it took off I'm already tapering off the methadone started doing as much meth as I could to cope with the lost dog and keep pushing and I just remember crying for like a week one day I was like crying and screaming at the sky and talking to people that weren't there and this fucking aha moment comes on after in the middle of my crying and it's like Tyler, I, I've already done two, like 30 different attempts at treatment programs. And it's like, you need to get to treatment now. If you don't get into treatment right now, you will be stuck in this mindset for the rest of your life. And that scared the fuck out of me. Cause I, I don't know how to explain it, but it was God kind of pretty much told me like, Tyler, you are so close to snapping and not coming back. Like go fucking get it together and so my the plan was fucking go get help well fuck i've already ex- like used up every treatment center i could more than once in town so i can't just go like call for help and get in and almost all those other treatment centers i went to in the past i fucking was on probation and when you're on probation that's like your fast pass to getting in treatment you know, when you're on probation, they fucking help you and push the issue and get you in quick. Well, I'm not on probation anymore, and it's going to be a bitch to get in. And so I call a few rehabs. They're like, yeah, we'll put you on the waiting list. And I was like, well, how long is that? And they're like, maybe two weeks. And I'm like, fuck, I need help now. Like, God told me to go get help or you're stuck like this. I need to go get help now. And um, 
and the other half of the treatment centers weren't going to take me on methadone. And even though I'm tapering, like I didn't want to stop taking it just as it like 90 or 80 or 90 milligrams still at that point. I'm not just going to stop taking it and go into a six month program. So anyway, I start coming up with the bright idea. I got to go to jail. Jails where I did well, my bad. Jails where I do well. It's structured. I never have any really problems. I can hold my own. Like, let's go to fucking jail. But how do I get there? I don't want to hurt anybody. And I don't want to steal from anybody. Like, I've already done both of those things. And karma is so fucking real. I was like, can't do those things. So what can I do to go to jail? And then I start thinking, like, jump in a cop car and steal it. Uh, go to a gas station and bash someone's window out. No, that would hurt someone. Go to a fucking electronic store and steal the most expensive thing I can. No, that, that they might just give me a ticket or release me. And so I go back downtown, and there's a few big skyscraper buildings, uh, a couple state buildings, Chamber of Commerce, um, Cesar Chavez. But I was just trying to find the real well-known buildings that looked nice and had big panel windows. When I'm saying big panel windows, I'm talking like a window big as your car. Big ones. And I would go up to it each day. I'd shatter a window out with like a chunk of cement or concrete or a brick. And I'd shatter the window out and I'd wait. And I'd just sit there. Usually have some weed. And I would literally just light a joint and like wait for the cops to come. In the middle of downtown. Yeah, during the day. Throw a brick in and sit there and just smoke a joint. Yeah. And so when someone came, it'd be like... You'd be like, who did this? You know, and I'd be smoking the joint. I'd be like, it was me. I did that. Like, and what happened? Nothing. That's the thing. No one fucking came. And that's when I was just that much more convinced <laughs> what? In, my, in my psychosis. Like, they really are trying to leave me out here to die homeless. And so <clears throat> it started with just one window on one building. I don't know how, what building it was. But as I did this each day, I would try and go pick like a more like well-known building, like a, a housing authority or a fucking county building. I started going to bigger and bigger buildings and knock a window out. And literally nothing happened every time. And I swear to you, I remember it. I did this one building. I knock out the window and it was a big tinted one too. So it was like, it was probably an expensive window. And I knock it out. I go up to it with a stick, with my squeegee actually. And I start fucking knocking out all the corners of the glass to make sure like that window is fully knocked out. Like not just a hole in it. Like we're knocking all the glass off this motherfucker. And I look over to my left and there's a cop sitting in his car staring at me. And then fucking the light changes and he drives off. And I was like, what the Fuck. Maybe they were out. Maybe like your dad was in cahoots with the with the the sheriff. Bro, I, it was the most mind blowing experience of trying to get help and proving a point, and just being pretty fucked off in the head. So, so what happened after that? Like, oh well, then I finally was like, you know what? If these cops are really out to fucking do this to me, I'm gonna go to the Fresno Police Headquarters right across from the courthouse downtown. And I'm going to knock their fucking windows out. And then, you know what? I don't plan on going to jail. And I already know they're not going to arrest me. But I'm going to make sure that they fucking know I know about them too. Like, just some sick state of mind. And so it was like a 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It was like two or three weeks before I turned 28. And uh, 
I shatter the fucking windows out. The front, the front entrance door windows with like a big old chunk of cement. And that this was the first window that I knocked out. I did it. And I look around. There's only like one or two people even around me at the time. And I was just like, fuck, I did that. And then instead of sitting there, like I just did a slow pace. I didn't, I didn't sit at that one. <laughs> I, I just did a slow, like casual, like, you know, like when someone does something and that fucking act normal. So I shattered it out. I looked at it and then I was like, act normal. And I just walked real slow off to like the library right across the way. It wasn't even like 20 seconds, bro. And I had these two big old buff detectives because they were in street clothes, but they had the fucking badge on their neck with the chain. Just tackle my ass. And they were fuck, they bro, like, I swear to God, they did like a little WWE on me. And like, I know everyone says, <laughs> they like, choke slammed you. Like, I know everyone <laughs> says that like, the cops can be hard sometimes, but no, like, they like, I'm already on the ground. I'm not resisting. I'm like low key happy. I'm getting arrested. And they're like jumping on me with their knees still. Like, stay down. And I'm literally trying to turn my head just to just be like, explain myself. And no, we said stay down. Don't move. Knee, knee, knee. Slap his hand. And dude, it was the middle of fucking summer and I was on the fucking blacktop. And I had a fucking wife beater on, some dirty ass shorts, and I think flip flops. <laughs> like, I was getting, I was burning. There was a part of me when I went to jail. I was fucking, I had a burn mark on my arm because this shit was hot. It was over a hundred degrees Damn. and they're just burning me on the blacktop, holding me down. Don't resist. Anyway. So they asked me why I did that. And I'm screaming and crying at this point. Fucking everyone's out to kill me. Everyone's trying to rape me. Fucking. I know about what you guys are doing. And they're just like, what the fuck? 5150 this kid. They 5150 me, held me in there for a day. Take me to jail. And then release me. And I was like, no. How in the fuck am I going to get released? I knew it. Everything, all this psychosis was true. Like, they must all work for my dad and the president. And then I go back to the west side. I fucking was miserable. I go to a, a, someone I frequently cop off. I was like, bro, it's like 11, 12 at night because they just released me. I was like, let me get a nickel. Let me get a rig. I'll get you in the morning. He's like, yeah, bro, yeah, for sure. Like, I was good for it. That was the cool thing. People always knew I had money, so I could always get it because they knew I was good for it. And so I go run around to a Johnny Quick, and there's another dude like 10, 20 feet from me doing a shot, another dude smoking his rock, and I'm just going to do a shot and go to bed. And I did my shot, and I start making a little mat to lay on with like a small like garbage bag of clothes that I was carrying, and some police pull up. So this is like... 24 hours after I got released, I'm doing this. The police pull up and they pull up right in front of me with their lights on and high beam me. And I'm sleeping. I'm in a dead, not moving, laying down, sleeping. And there's two people next to me out in the open, open public, getting high. And I'm looking at them and I'm looking at the cops. And I'm looking at them and looking at the cops like, what the fuck? Like, why are you fucking with me? Like, you, Tyler Hamilton? And I knew I've so many times being arrested, I don't got to say shit. So I just start packing my stuff up. I start getting up, rolling up my mat. And they're like, are you Tyler Hamilton? I'm not repeating anything. I'm not responding. I'm not telling them shit. I'm just getting my stuff and I'm going. And finally I got my bag in my hand, my mat in the other hand. And I'm about to walk off. And then they fucking draw their guns. Don't move. We know who you are. Don't move. And I'm like, fuck. I didn't even say anything. And they're like, we know you're Tyler Hamilton, blah, blah, blah. 
And I mean, I have to really think about it. I don't want to take forever, but I finally like I caved or something like they said something that sparked like to piss me off. And then I was like, no, you can't fucking do that. Even if I was like, you, I, I don't remember, but I somehow somehow told on myself by something I did or something I said to make it confirm that I was the Tyler Hamilton they were looking for. And they said, don't move. They throw me on the car. They search me. Fucking, we have a warrant out for your arrest. And I was like, you don't have a fucking warrant. I'm not on probation because I'm used to having fucking BOP warrants, you know? And, uh, they fucking took me to jail. I never left that time. So I go to court like within the 72 hours. They take me to court and the DA is looking at me. He's like, dude, did you really do this? I was like, yeah. He goes, why? I go, because I need help. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, I go, I'm a homeless drug addict. I need help. And he goes, all right, well, he did. He could really care less, honestly. He was just chopping it up, bullshitting with me. He's like, we're going to get you out in like 27 days. You're going to get out of here in 27 days and be on three years felony probation. And I was like, no, I don't want that. He's like, dude, for what you did and breaking all those windows, like you won't get a better deal than this. I promise you. And I was just like, I don't care. I want to stay in jail. He goes, what? I go, yeah, I'm a homeless drug addict. I'm still on methadone. I want to stay in jail. He goes, why? And I go, because I can't get into any other treatment centers. And this is where I do best. This is where I get the most sober and start getting my mind right. He's like, all right. Well, it's kind of an odd request, but let me go talk to the judge. Comes back uh, like 20 minutes later and he goes, we'll get you eight months in county with eight months probation. And eight months in county jail is only four months because you get like double credit or some shit like that. So... I ended up doing four months in county and just eight months of probation. And when I was in there, I'm telling all the homeboys my story, just like I'm telling you guys right here today. And I was still getting my methadone. And this was like the best decision that has ever happened. Cause I don't know if I would have gotten the amount of sobriety and clarity that I have today if I didn't do this. And so I'm telling all the homeboys my crazy story. And they're like, damn dude, you really sounds like you really want to get clean. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. That's why I'm, that's why I'm here. And they're like, no, you're not. You're full of shit. And they're like, you need to leave. And like, we want you to like roll your shit up and get out. And I was like, what? Like, I've never had problems in jail. Like, what's what's wrong, guys? Like, what do we gotta do? We could, you know, we'll handle. Let's do. It. What's what's the problem? And they're like, you're a fucking little bitch ass liar. And I said that word bitch. And I was like, whoa. I was like, what are you saying? And they're like, bro, you tell us all that crazy story about how you're trying to get clean. You're losing your mind. People are after you, and you're still taking your methadone. If you're really that serious and you need every day to count while you're in jail, quit taking that fucking methadone every morning. And I was like, fuck, that makes a point. That's kind of right. <laughs> Good point. Calling you out. Yeah. And so like that was, they kind of saved my life. This small group of fucking homies in there called me on my shit. And then, you know, when they called me a little bitch ass lie, I was like, I ain't no bitch. Like, I don't need that methadone. Fuck that methadone. And at the time, I was tapering every day, and I was like at 40 milligrams or so by then. But I was still feeling it every day. Feeling like shit. Even just a milligram a day, bro. I mean, yeah, fuck. Yeah. Makes a little bit of a difference, you know? I don't wish it on anybody. So next morning, methadone comes. Everyone sees me walk to the window. And I'm like, fuck. And I go out there. I'm like, I'm done. 
And they're like, no, no. And the lady, they literally, bro, they, bro, those methadone people, they fucking. They want you to stay on it. Yeah, bro. Stay on it. Criminals. They were like, no, you really need to take this. You know, we really suggest you do. If you don't take it, I was like, I heard there's a waiver. You guys have a waiver I can sign? I'm done. Quit calling my name every morning at fucking six in the morning, waking my ass up. I want to sleep. I don't want to take it. And this lady tried to like pull me aside and counsel me for five minutes and telling me about how I should take it and how I need to take it. And I was like, no. And I fucking, but where's the waiver? She pulls out the waiver. I sign it. I go back in, tell all the homies because I'm wanting that acceptance back. And I got it. And they're like, good, good. And they fucking were cool with me ever since. I didn't sleep for six fucking weeks. Every two, three days, I might get like a half hour of sleep. And it just, my sleep pattern slowly progressed from there. Another two, three days of fucking insomnia and fucking feeling real agitated. The physical wasn't as bad as I thought. It was the mental part and like your body kind of just can't stay still. And um, half hour every three days. Another three days, hour. Another three more days, hour and 20 minutes. Another three more days, hour and 40. And I just it took like a six-week progress before I was getting seven, eight hours of sleep. And bro, once I started getting that sleep and I was off all the drugs, I woke up one morning and was like, oh my God, this is what it feels like to be sober. This is fucking great. I could feel like all the fucking neurons in my brain firing off. I was thinking clear. I was thinking like confident, strong. Like I'll just never forget that. I woke up one morning and everything was different. It was the craziest shit. And I'm like, I've been living a lie. Because even when I was on methadone, I'd go a few days, maybe even a week at some special moment in time where I didn't do anything except be on methadone. And I thought I was clean. And I was like, oh, this is clean. Like I could do this maybe someday. Just be on methadone. But I, that when I had that aha moment off the fucking methadone, I was like, whoa, that is some powerful, tricky, dirty stuff to fucking... Because I was thoroughly convinced, like, this is just a different form of sobriety. And that was not the case. Uh, once I started thinking the way I was, it was like, I want to run with this. Let's see what happens. And so, yeah. Um I wish I could say that's when I got sober and stayed sober, but um, what was the the final time final. from from going to jail and getting off the methadone to when you, your sobriety date of was it one eighteen eighteen one twenty two one twenty two eighteen? So I had like three months, you know, uh, a little over three months, because like after I got off the methadone, I think like the first week or two there was dope coming in the jail and everyone was getting high and so i partook for a minute and then you know i was reminded again about hey you're here to get fucking sober like don't disappoint us and fucking make us think you're a bitch-ass liar like stay sober bro be strong you don't gotta fucking get involved with all that riffraff like everybody else i was like you're right you're right and so i kind of had some positive reinforcement and encouragement to stay sober in there and i ended up pulling off out of the four months like just shy of like 100 days i think i think i had like 110 or something when i got out so i get out and i was working out after i got so that was the only way i was able to cope with 
being off that methadone was fucking exercising, eating as much as I could, just getting healthy. And I get out I'm on a Monday morning. I go straight to probation. I started making these mini goals about how I'm going to get into a treatment center because I know I'm going to be on probation. So I'm going to get fucking to the top of the wait list because I've done this routine before. I, I knew I was going to get some help now that I'm on probation. And so I show up Monday morning at like 8 o'clock because I got released super early. And uh, I go to my PO. Never heard of this guy before. And I'm like, yo, I need help. I need a treatment center ASAP. Like, I'm a homeless drug addict, and that's the whole reason I went to jail. I need help. And he's like, man, are you? You're a drug addict? He goes, you look good. You look healthy. You even worked out in there, huh? And I was like, yeah, I did. But I still need help. I'm a homeless drug addict. And he goes, come back tomorrow. Just figure out somewhere to stay and come back tomorrow, and we'll get you somewhere. And I shit you not, from a Monday to Friday, I showed up at probation from 8 when they opened till 4 o'clock when they closed. And every day, my PO just kept pushing me off. Like, you're fine. He just kind of, like, trying to give me some, like, counselor reinforcement. Like, just call your family. Call your friend. And literally, I did. And no one wanted to help me. I had this one friend, dude, who just had my back from day one. He let me stay with him that first week. Cause he knew my story. He knew I was sober and, uh, he got me through that week. But then I told my PO, I was like, I can't keep doing this. Like my friend is not going to let me just live with him. Like I need somewhere to go or I'm going to be sleeping downtown any day now. He's like, yeah, yeah. He just didn't take me seriously. So after Friday, the office closed, I was like, all right, this motherfucker, this motherfucking PO has no idea who I am or what I'm about. And so I go back downtown to the west side of Fresno and I fucking just get as loaded as I can. And for being healthy, you know, when you're super sober and healthy and you go around all your old using friends, everyone's trying to hook you up and get you back on their level of being strung out. So I literally had just all the meth and heroin thrown at me. I fucking drank a bunch of alcohol. I'm not even a huge alcohol fan, but... I was drinking, smoking, staying up all night, every night. And then I show up Monday morning to my PO. No sleep. High as a kite. Loaded. Fucking still got a fucking joint in my pocket. And he pulls me in. He's like, oh my God, what happened to you? And I was like, I told you, dude. I'm a fucking homeless drug addict. I need help. He goes, oh, man, we got to help you. We got we to <laughs> figure out what to do with you. Fuck. I was like, yeah. And I was like, at that point, I was just so sick of that lifestyle and pattern. I wasn't even going to get mad if he violated me and put me back in jail. Because, like, at least I know I could get sober again and, you know, have somewhere to sleep, have some food coming my way. Just the basic amenities that I needed to stay sober and sane. And, uh. Within like 24 hours of my PO seeing me high mon- that next Monday morning, I think he got me into a treatment center Tuesday afternoon. Uh, it was a little 90-day program, and I stayed sober from that day forward. Uh, got into that treatment center, did the 90 days, and I just did everything different. Like, Because as much knowledge as you might think you know or have about sobriety, like that don't mean shit. 
if you're a newcomer, like you need to fucking shut up, listen and follow the fucking rules. And so some like basic rules they had, like after nine o'clock at night, when you're in treatment, like don't go out inside and smoke. And out of like the 10 guys in the house, it'd be nine seventeen, and there'd be eight of the 10 outside smoking. Well, I was one of those two inside, even though I wanted a cigarette, I didn't go outside and smoke because the rule was not after nine. I wanted to try and just do things right from the simplest rules. Fucking clean the bathrooms when you're fucking done. Um, Make sure to always clean your dish. Don't just like throw it in the sink or give it a quick job. Like fully clean your shit. You know, all those dumb rules in rehab that you don't think make sense or these are fucking stupid. uh, I see why they're implemented today because... I was one of those few people that followed those fucking rules, and I think I'm the only one still sober today. Well, now, do you think that those rules are in place because, like, oh, by washing your dish, you're going to stay sober? You know, by not smoking out past nine, you're going to stay sober? Or do you think those rules, the reason why, you know, following those rules gave you a firm foundation in your recovery today is because you, for once in your life, you were able to get out of Tyler's will and get out of the way that Tyler wanted to do things and the way that Tyler wanted to run the show. And it got you into a place of, of accepting help and, you know, um, trying to do things a different way. Well said. I, I mean, I don't even think that that deep into some of the things I did. I just knew I fucking tried doing it another way. Yeah. I don't, I stopped, Leaning on my self-will. I tried to do shit somebody else's way, the way it was meant to be done. And kid you not, it worked. And um, so, so you went to the 90-day program. Uh-huh. You got out. Uh-huh. Uh, what did you do when you got out? Um, you sober living, they, outpatient? They fund you for two two to three months of sober living. And um Man, I would have wished I was on I was on parole because fucking if you're on parole, they, they'll fund you for a whole fucking year. And so, I only had these two three months to like get my shit together. And I was scared, but I was confident. I followed the rules. I I made it out of there. I was healthy because all I was doing was exercising and eating good. And I I wrote this letter without even intentionally meaning to do it. I like made a small list of goals. By kind of like I wrote my aunt this letter, right? That said like my to my aunt, I'm so sorry for all the shit I did. I'm so sorry for smashing the windows. Cause one of the buildings I smashed was her fucking business. Like downtown. Oh shit. Yeah. And so I apologize for that. And then I was like, you know what? This time's different. I feel different. Like I'm gonna get to so I'm gonna go to sober li- I'm gonna complete this program, first of all. Then I'm going to get to sober living. Once I'm in sober living, I'm going to get a job within the first week. I'm going to be so driven and determined. I don't care where it is. I'm going to get employment. And once I get employment, I'm going to start working on the fucking DUIs and get enrolled in the DUI classes that I have to do. And I'm going to complete my outpatient class. And then hopefully, maybe then, hopefully, mom or dad will like talk to me again because they blocked they didn't. They blocked their numbers. They didn't answer their phones. And if they did, and they knew it was me. They just clicked it right up. Didn't say nothing. And uh, I did. You know what? That is a lie. Cause I wrote my mom a letter, and she actually wrote me a letter back. We still didn't talk on the phone, but she wrote me a letter, 
in treatment. That was nice. I knew that they still love me just from a real, real far, far, far distance. And uh, I shit you not, I had I wrote all that shit down, and that's exactly what I fucking did. Completed the inpatient, got the sober living. Within the first week of sober living, I went and got a job through a temp agency because I hadn't worked in ten fucking years. Like you know, how do you? You can't really put uh, window squeegee professional right on a on a resident. I mean, I guess you can, but, but it's just a ten year employment gap. With yeah, no way to explain for it. Doesn't look too good. No, so I I went through there. And uh, they hooked me up. I showed up every day. I uh, took the bus because the one thing that the sober living did do is they hooked you up with the bus pass. And um, not right away. I was borrowing other people's that weren't taking their sobriety as serious. But I, I got a bus pass. They uh, required you to go to so many AA or NA meetings. I think it was only two or three times a week. Well, I did that. And uh, I went to meetings, but I didn't really. I just did it. So I could live at the sober living. Like if all I got to do is go to two meetings a week to live here, like what the fuck's an hour, two hours out of the whole week so I can live here. And, uh, I was going to like these other, uh, secular men's meetings cause I, they were co- close by and convenient and they were cool. Cause it was, it's, I don't know how to explain. It's a different form of therapy, but, there was crosstalk the whole time. So everyone checks in in the room and then everyone talks about their week or how they did. And then everyone kind of crosstalks. Like I'll be like, yeah, uh, I think I'm going to go see this girl this week. I might push my curfew back an hour or two and go see this girl. And, uh, I don't think it'll be any real consequences. And then six different opinions coming at me. Is it really worth it? Are you really going to risk your fucking place of living for something stupid like that? Is that girl even that pretty to do that for? Why don't you just wait? And like, I got all these different opinions from people and it kind of helped me think my actions through and my behavior through before I actually did it. And so, uh, it kept me sober for six months, I'd say. And then saved up some money, went and got an apartment and, uh, I was actually gifted fucking from God to get this apartment. So there's these special vouchers you can get. If you have been chronically homeless for more than a year, you can get this voucher where it's like a temporary section eight deal where the rent fluctuates with your income. And so I was making, I think 11 or $1,200 a month. And so my rent was only like four fifty to start an apartment because uh, I was living downtown for so long for and I'd go to this place and just sign in and I'd always sign in and so uh, these housing authorities had me on file or in record of being chronically homeless they called it and I was eligible for this voucher and it got me started into an apartment where I was able to pay rent get back into life where I'm and that apartment's the one that I slept on the couch right was that the actual one yeah, yeah. in Sin City yep Old old trap spot. I miss that place, man. It was cool. That was that was cool. You had your little neighbor, dude. That little guy that would sit out on the porch and just talk shit every time we smoked a stoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you guys shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I miss that place. That was uh, that was where I I got everything going, man. And I was able to start saving. And before I knew it, I went open a bank account, and I'm like, holy shit, I haven't had a bank account or a hundred dollars in twelve, thirteen years. I couldn't keep four quarters in my pocket. 
as soon as I got five dollars, it fucking it went to a sack, and uh, I just kept doing that. Oh, so I got the apartment. I'm working full time uh, at this through through a ten page thing, working at like a meat place, fucking filling boxes with meats, t- taping them, stacking them on pallets, whatever, labeling them. And uh, I called up one or two of my friends that I used to use with back in the day that I heard had a couple years sobriety. And so I hit them up and I was like, yo, it's Tyler. I'm sober. I heard you're sober. And they were like, no, you're not. Shut the fuck up. I just saw you last year. You were on fucking at the Arco with your dog and a squeegee. Like, <laughs> you cannot be sober, bro. And he's like, all right, maybe you're sober, but how much methadone are you on? You're still on methadone. Like, don't fucking call me to play me, bro. Like, how much methadone you want? And I was like, no, bro, I'm really sober. I did this treatment center, and then I'm doing this. And they're like, you're not really sober, bro. Like, I'm in recovery. You might be abstinent, but you're not, like, in recovery. And then I was like, what the fuck? Like, I was so upset and mad and hurt that I reached out to these friends that I used to kick it with, and they weren't fucking with me. And so he's like, cause he like how he knew, I guess I wasn't on his level of recovery was he goes, what meetings you going to, who's your sponsor, who you've been hanging with. And I'm like, I didn't have any real solid friends that I could name. I definitely didn't have a sponsor. Um, and I didn't know where any good meetings were. I think I named one, but I didn't like know where they're at. Like today I can name them all over town. And so like I started to go to meetings out of spite these AA and NA meetings out of spite because I was so mad at this fool. Like he didn't think I was really with it. So I was like, I can do that too. I'll go to these fucking AA meetings, see what this shit show you dude. Yeah. I'll recover. Yeah. And I went and it was a little lame in the beginning, but I just kept coming back because it gave me hope, bro. I heard this just not too long ago too. I'm, I'm slacking. I just kept hearing hope and it kept keeping me coming back. And hope is, Hearing other people's experiences. You just heard that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> two fucking years, and I hear what fucking hope stands for. Like, oh, I used to hate ago. when people said that. I mean, I'd be like, like 30 days sober. You know, they you know, drag you to meetings when you're in, impatient. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I get my hope in these rooms. Yeah. Hearing other people's experience. And I'm yeah. like, shut up, dude. Yeah, yeah. You're talking to homeboy <laughs> in the back of the meeting the whole time. How are you hearing anything? Yeah. And But it's true. So, it's true. I did that, and then uh, I was in this deep, paranoid, schizophrenic state at the end of my addiction. Like, I've always been real good with the women before my addiction, and so like, but after I got to that state, I was like, no, no one's ever gonna fuck with me again. Like, I'll be lucky to just be single and maybe get a dog someday. <laughs> and so I go to these meetings, right? And they're kind of lame, but there's some, you know, pretty girls to look at. There's and some talent for there's, sure. There's a few, yeah few potentials and you know uh people started talking to me like a normal human being other men started respecting me and shaking my hands fucking smiling at me girls were kind of smiling at me and winking at me and i was just like all right like this is can get behind this yeah this is kind of weird but like i'm used to having nothing and no attention and no one around and so that's a kind of what, between here and hope, man, and just being able to feel like I might have a chance with with a female, like you know, because now I started going, I started taking care of myself. I used to just not care, even when I was sober. But then I was like, you know what? I gotta make sure my hair's fucking got a haircut. 
got a clean t-shirt on when I go to the meeting. Like, I want to make sure I look good too. And uh, lo and behold, like I started respecting myself and caring about who I am more and more through going to these rooms. And then, uh, took me like another month or two before I took it, the sponsor thing serious, but I heard someone share one day and it, everyone's experience is different, but I heard this dude share and soon as he was done, all, I couldn't hear the rest of the meeting, the whole meeting. I was like, that's, I got it. That's my sponsor. That's my sponsor. I need him to be my sponsor. That is perfect. He's old. He's retired. And I'm sicker than most. Like I need Joe. this. I need this dude to fucking answer his phone all the time. Cause like I was worried about getting a sponsor that has a life that's really full and busy to where like I'm I'm sick. Like I need someone to answer their phone any time of the day. So Could I can, have a crisis. Right. And so I was like, I need to get someone who's retired, who's got a lot of sobriety, and I can relate to in one way or another. And this dude had exactly all those like ideals that I was looking for. And so I was like, that's the dude. And sure as shit, I went and asked him. He uh, took me on. Um, I was riding a bike and taking the bus still. This dude started picking me up, taking me to meetings. Uh, I met a few guys that were in this like men's group I was going to. And then I started getting rides from these other guys and taking me to meetings. And I just started making, going to meetings and kind of like fellowshipping afterwards a priority. And, and this is something I've always wanted to share about uh, in meetings or tell people, but I'm, I never remember, but like how I did it. And like, I got numerous friends. I don't even have enough time to hang out with everybody anymore, but I was so desperate for connection and community that what's accepted in a normal society, you know, like if you're not invited to go to dinner with a group of friends or invited to come hang somewhere afterwards or anything like that. Like you don't invite yourself. Like that's rude or like, um, yeah, if you don't get invited or you're not asked what you're doing later tonight, like then obviously they don't want you there. Right. Well, we alcoholics and addicts are pretty selfish and self-centered still. And so like I was just, I was reaching thinking like I was so desperate to fucking have community after meetings and stuff. I'd be like, what's everyone doing? You know, I'd, I'd be searching for the next move of you guys are dope. Everyone's sober. Like what's all you sober cats doing? Oh, we're going to go play some basketball at the fucking park or another night. I, these guys would be like, I would try it slow first. They'd be like, Oh, we're going to go to dinner. I'd be like, Oh yeah. Where? Like, oh, this Mexican place, it's good. I'd be like, oh, yeah, what do they serve? Like, I would just keep asking questions. Until so, so they invited you? Right. <laughs> I'd be like, well, where's that at? Which streets are that? Oh, how are you getting there? You know? And there'd be those times where I did get invited. So finally, I was just like, you know what? I was like, can I come? You know? And uh, it might it's uncomfortable. It's a little awkward. But I don't think if you're going to the good meetings, you're never going to get told no. No, you can't come fellowship with us. No, you can't come eat like with us. Mean girls. You can't sit with us. Yeah, like that's <laughs> that's just not how how it is. Like so in recovery it's different, man. Like if you're not invited or asked to partake in like an extracurricular activity or go out and hang, like do not hesitate to fucking just be like, "Yo, I'm interested too." Or like, "I'm trying to tag along." 
and um it worked and i was in and as soon as i did that it's uncomfortable you sit there with a fucking big table of people you don't know anybody but like you just gotta break through that uncomfortability and look someone in the eyes and practice you know how are you doing today i'm doing okay i mean i'm tyler and who are you oh cool man like and i still to this day even two years later like someone introduces themselves i'm gonna ask you your name 10 more times like i can never remember you off the first handshake and i don't think normal people can do that either too okay well i i feel out of place when i do that but i'm sicker than most yeah and so if is there like you know we're coming towards the end of the episode but i like i'd like to get your kind of insight on this is there anything in like out of you know you kind of already touched on a lot of like good like uh suggestions for people you know who are getting into sobriety but is there like one big kind of i don't know tip or piece of advice that you would give to someone new um, who's struggling or someone who's got some time who's still struggling? Well, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't want to break it down and give you too many, but like, I guess to keep it simple, like what's the biggest, uh, most important kind of, uh, piece of advice that you would give to someone? Let someone else make decisions for you. Every decision I ever made fuck, fucked me off. Let someone else make your decisions is that like going towards a sponsor yeah no for sure but like even if he's not available somebody with substantial amount of sobriety and the cool part is you tell them what you want to do like where you want to go or where you're trying to hang or what kind of lifestyle you might be trying to live and run it by them of what you want to do and every once in a blue moon they'll agree with you. And so then you'll realize, okay, so, uh, after work, I can go to the meeting and then stay out till 10 o'clock with this girl. And for, I'm trying to give an example of like, so you run that by your sponsor. Hey sponsor, I'm going to go to work, go to this meeting, go hang out with this girl till 10. Um, what'd you think about that? You know? And they'll say, yeah, that sounds good. And then you'll be like, okay, so that was a good sane thought. And then I, that registers like, that's reasonable. That's practical. I worked, I hit a meeting and I got to spend time with somebody and then, Hey spots. Well, and then the, the next one, like, cause some of my friends would ask me like, Hey bro, we'd be like still in sober living. Hey, let's stay out and just a half hour, an hour after curfew. And let's go to the bone thugs and harmony concert downtown and tower. <laughs> and I think about it and be like, that sounds so dope to fucking see bone thugs that up close and personal. And then you call your sponsor and be like, Hey sponsor, I was thinking about going to bone thugs and harmony and every motherfucker in that crowd is probably gonna be smoking weed and probably drinking. But like, I'm going to go with my one sober buddy. Is that cool? I was thinking I probably shouldn't, but I think I'm going to go. And then, you know what I mean? Right then and there, he's going to be like, nope, that is one thing you do not do. Not to say you can't go right. to a Bone not Thugs yet. concert, but not, you not know, yet. when you're still in sober living with like two months sober, it's probably not the best idea. Right. Right. And That's I haven't, and I haven't gotten through steps. And so like, there's just certain things. If you're unsure or it sounds iffy, you run it by them. And if they agree with your mind, the way you're thinking, then you register that like, okay. 
that was a good thought. And then you run another one by them and they say no. You'd be like, see, that's why I'm asking. And then just like over time, you start to reshape your thinking and the you know decisions you make. And now today, I still call them, but like when I want to do something, I don't even have to necessarily always call them. I just go, what would my sponsor say? You know, mm-hmm. and I've gotten such a relationship with them. I know exactly what he'd say. There you go. That's a that's actually a really good uh really good point because that um that logic that that um mentality of, you know, always bouncing stuff off, you know, a a strong sober, you know, compadre, it can't go wrong. You can do that when you have a day sober, you can do that when you have 10 years sober, it doesn't matter, you know. Very versatile tool. It it's somewhere in the book and I don't want to like keep bringing too much AA into all this, but like independence is a beautiful thing, but you can never become fully independent until you first learn to depend on others. Just like a child with mom and dad, that child is not going to know how to grow up and be a successful athlete, a businessman, a fucking salesman, whatever it is until they're coached and fucking raised and groomed and shown this is the way you do it right Mm. and so that's pretty much what the sponsor's there for he's he's your coach he's kind of like the parent he's going to help you make the right decisions until you become independent enough to make your own decisions well there you go yeah there you go well thank you tyler for being on the show this was a fire episode (laughs) You know, I appreciate all the listeners. You know, um, if you're still listening, follow us on Instagram, uh, Sicker Than Most Podcast. Check out the Facebook group. Um, you know, if you have a story that you'd like to share on the podcast, feel free to hit us up. Um, you know, shoot us a message on Instagram. Um, and, uh, you know, we'd love to have you on the show. We definitely. Steam. We're not making that a thing. Mad no, Steam. No, do not bring that slang into my podcast. 2020. He's been trying to get this this saying, <laughs> oh, like steam. It's like lit or fire. No, but it's steam is never, never being a thing. I can't get behind it. Steam. I can't get behind it. <laughs> Anyways, I'll forgive you for that one. You know, I'd like to end every episode with this. You know, no matter what you've done, no matter where you come from, you are lovable and you are forgivable. So keep that in mind. Keep your head up and keep it moving. Peace. Peace.